Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sugar Shack. Your host, Shug White here. First, while we get started, I'm going to inform you guys a little something I just found out from Anchor is you can co-host now or find a co-host. Um, all you need is an iPhone, Android phone, whatever smartphone, and uh, a pair of headphones. And you can join in on, well, the Sugar Shack if you'd like, or any other one. Also, you can leave comments about the show, and I can put it in the show if you're not comfortable going live so think about that i would love to have some interaction it's obvious (laughs) i'm begging for it today's episode we're gonna talk about my life as a professional wrestler um i kind of told people on the last one that uh after we um interviewed a couple of my students uh billy and eddie pearl um that uh we talked a little bit about how i got started so some of you guys weren't quite in the dark or how my you know who i am and what's going on um first and foremost here and my nickname for a while has been Suge White but uh, in the wrestling world I'm known as Jeremy Blanchard and for about 15 out of the 23 years 24 years I was in a tag team with my brother called the Blanchard Brothers we traveled quite a bit mainly west coast but I did spend some time in Memphis, Tennessee Boonville, Mississippi Tupelo, Mississippi New Albany, Mississippi uh, Perigo, Arkansas, um, Little Rock, Tupelo, that's what I was already said, Tupelo, and um, Dyersburg, Tennessee, a lot of places in that area um, where the old loop used to be for Memphis wrestling. Now, um, basically, it uh, started when I was, <laughs> started in my early 20s. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, before that, though, I mean, it started. I started training when I was in my twenties um, by a few people, though. Uh, I didn't have just one trainer. I was always. I was told by the first guy that I got in contact. I got contact with that you want to be able to train by as many people as will let you. It's just different styles, different philosophies, all that kind of good stuff. Um, you stick with one person, you kind of be that one person, you know. Um, like myself, I I can teach you a lot of things, but if you want to be a high flyer. Or Lucha, I can't, I can't do that. Um, so you'd have to find somebody else. So therefore, your second trainer comes involved. That happens quite a bit. Well, at the West Coast Wrestling Connection, we have the Grapplers Wrestling Academy, and we have four trainers that all could be, or all have their own head, their own school could be a head instructor. Um, I told somebody the other day, uh, someone asked me, hey, come you don't have your own school? I, did, I have had my own school. Um, it's just uh, hard to keep a building. This place is here. It's solid. And um, I look at it like I'm one of those college coaches that could have their own team. It's like if Nick Saban went and helped out whoever, Les Miles. I don't know where he's at. Here. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, we have all wrestling covered with those four trainers. So it's a pretty neat, neat deal. But it started in my early 20s. Like I said, I was trained by a few people. And, um, and this is in no way, in no order. Um, Tito Carrion, the late Tito Carrion. A couple people are late on this, I think, here. Not just two or two late um, have died, have passed away. Uh, Tito Carrion, uh, Michael Modest, the grappler, Lynn Denton, and God rest his soul, Bruiser Brian Cox. Um, each one of those guys gave me the t- proper tools to put in my uh, tool pouch, so to speak. Um, Tito, believe it or not, was a caring older gentleman in his 70s when he shocking to me I was told that 
I was going to learn how to protect myself from this guy who could manipulate joints and manipulate muscle. And uh, when we showed up, I was like, what? I was like, you know, I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah, that was my first lesson in pro wrestling. Don't ever underestimate anybody and be careful because you don't know who you're talking to or what they've done. Because pretty soon here, you know, my wrestling career is done because of concussions and I'm a manager and it kind of dawned on me because there's going to be kids growing up there aren't ever going to see me wrestle. They're going to ask their dad, why's that old guy out there? What did he used to be? <laughs> or who would he ever be? You know, kind of thing. Um, let's see here. Michael Modest, uh, got a, I came in contact with him in, uh, let's see, San Francisco, uh, the Bay Area. And, um, he, he laid the foundation. He, he taught me how to protect myself um, when I'm by myself. Tito taught me to take care of myself if someone's trying to hurt me. Uh, that makes sense. And the grappler, grappler is one that kind of molded and shaped my whole career um, over the years, um, developing me and, and, and um, uh, teaching me how to be a pro. And Bruiser, God rest his soul, even told us that he probably should be a head trainer, but uh, he was at the time. And he did the best he can, but he was a little scatterbrained. He had other, you know, other things on his mind, and, uh, like getting to the show for himself, which is totally fine. Um, but uh, he didn't. He kind of just kind of had. He was kind of one of those trainers just wanted to have fun, um, but and, which is neat. But if you're trying to learn, sometimes it's not so. Um, but uh, so they say, you know, at your birth, your end date uh, starts. This, uh, starts the second you take your first breath, you know. And until you take your last breath, that dash in between separates your birth year and your death year. Well, that's the course of your life. And mine started in 1973 at Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. And some would say that that's just about then set my whole obsession for becoming a pro wrestler started right there to that date. Um, my mom blames my father for getting me into it, you know, doing false pins on the living room floor before I could even walk. Um, and he takes full responsibility. <laughs> but my mom and dad... Um, they met at uh, Germantown High School in Memphis, Tennessee. And a few years uh, after my mom graduated, um, her parents moved to Oregon. And I guess we visited them at the age I can't remember. But at, uh, at that trip, my parents decided to move to Oregon so they could uh, raise their kids in a safe and laid-back environment, which unfortunately Memphis, even in 1975, had become a little violent. Um, and uh, I believe we were living in either Fraser or Fisherville, so... Um, I'm not sure exactly, but, uh, yeah. So, um, after that, uh, we, we went, we came to Oregon and I was five years old and, uh, it's funny cause we would go back to Tennessee quite a bit and, and wrestling has always been a part. My dad was a huge fan and, and you know, in Memphis, they didn't have any, the, you know, basketball Grizzlies. And then we talked about this before. So wrestling was pretty much it. I mean, and, uh, so uh, it's funny cause their show, comes on every Saturday morning, I believe at 10 or 11. And so when I got to Oregon, you know, come 10 a.m. in the morning, I'm, I'm trying to look for wrestling and I'm, I'm not finding any local wrestling because see, I wasn't exposed to that WWF right off the bat. So I thought to myself, okay, well, it's, it must be something they do in Memphis. You know, I hadn't seen a magazine yet. And uh, I got to the Mid-South Coliseum a few times with my dad, but didn't remember until I got older because apparently, I guess that's like the Andy Kaufman thing, but um, didn't know who Andy Kaufman was. As a matter of fact, when I looked at it, I thought it was kind of ridiculous at the time as a kid, just going, who's this skinny guy and why is he wearing that? But um, little did I know I was watching history, uh, major history. 
everything's history the minute that clock ticks, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I couldn't find wrestling, and so it wasn't until later on I found out that in Oregon, I'm Portland, Salem, Eugene, Roseburg, Medford, all those places down that I-5 strip got pro wrestling the opposite at 11 o'clock at night. Well, here's the problem. I grew up a pastor's son, so on Saturday night, I didn't get to stay up till 11 o'clock. And this is before everybody had a VCR. So um, wrestling was kind of put on hold for me, and it was probably the reason why it, it grew so strongly was because it was... It wasn't until I got a little older and saw magazines at the supermarket and wanted to buy the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Or at that time, they had so many, so many. It's so it's such a weird thing to look at now and and see that uh, there's one magazine, really two magazines. I think Pro Wrestling Illustrated still publishes one, and it might. I don't even I don't know if it's bi-monthly, but um, and then the WWF magazine, which is taking over the world, which depresses me. But that's a different story. Um, but yeah. Um, so it wasn't until then that I started looking at the magazines and seeing, you know, the world-class championship wrestling and then what Vern was doing in Minnesota and what they were doing on the East Coast and down in Florida. And so really, um, about that time, I was thinking to myself, man, that has to be the best job in the world. <laughs> well, it used to be. Um, so basically how it goes is I, we moved around a little bit in Oregon and finally ended up in Eugene, Oregon, and um, if you don't know where that's at, just think of the uh, Oregon Ducks. Now, myself, I'm an Oregon State Beaver fan, but (laughs) um, that's where the University of Oregon uh, is located, and uh, still, not being able to watch wrestling, I'm just itching badly, and of course, at this time, you know, it's kids, me and my brother do it in the backyard, and wetting down the slip and slide. You know, that kind of thing. Throwing arm drags, trying to body slam, that kind of good stuff, like every kid did. Now, my theory is, if you don't shake professional wrestling by the time you're 13 years old, you're fucked. You're just going to do it. It's Or you're going to be a fan for life. That's what it is. Um, usually kids at 13 are like, yeah, this is fucking stupid. Um, but uh, my interest in it was only growing, and I could, to the point where I wasn't concentrating at school. And a lot of times I was just thinking about that ring, the ring wasn't a belt mark I mean I knew I liked the bad guys more than I did the good guys but that ring I wanted to get in that ring and my vision was that I'd get in that ring and just like it would be like breathing and someone would see how good I was it's just it's the funniest thing how you think before you get into the business but um and it didn't not not happen like that I mean it happened pretty quickly for me when it did um but it's funny funny how you think you're just gonna be a star out of the gate um so finally, I think I want to say I was 15 years old, closer to 16, but I went to the Lane County Fair and at the fairgrounds on, yeah, this is going to be perfect, but at the petting area, the, the like the goats and the, the cows and all that kind of stuff, there was a sign above that saying pro wrestling every Friday night. I'm like, what? And so good Lord, are you kidding me? I think I might've took the bus home then, then and there. And we just got in there, uh, to tell my dad. And then on Friday mornings, I started realizing when I was looking at the sports session section, when I was became an athlete and we started getting box scores in there and stuff like that, that there was a little little section, little tiny little ad that talked about the card that was coming that night. I was like, holy shit. So finally, uh, 
either I got my dad or somebody to take me down there and um, watched it and it was so impact like it was not a huge building but not 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 tiny I know their dressing was tiny because you can hear them in there um, and so uh, watching it I was just in awe because I could see some, see it firsthand first time firsthand up that close and see how it's done and I studied because I was the type of kid where we taped the NWA and then taped WWF and watched it back the whole week and a lot of times I would you know being a coach's son and being an athlete well in football you rewind and play rewind and play rewind and play well that, that happened quite a bit so <clears throat> so yeah um, you could say that uh, about that time the fire was burning burning bright but the thing was is I wasn't very big now um, that changed but I, at the time I believe I was like 5'6", maybe, and a sophomore in high school when I found out that they smoke cigarettes. Yeah, pro athletes, trust me. <laughs> Boy, they, uh, you'll find out here soon enough that the song This Is The End Of The Innocence by Don Henley is actually perfect. Um, you lose it real quickly because you think you have this idea about it and it's shattered. But anyways, I found out that they smoked around the back of the pavilion where they held it. So, of course, naturally, being a kid that's an idiot, went back there and kept quiet and finally uh, the grappler was a mass character and he, he, he did a lot of things as a matter of fact Bill Watts had him as a double champion there in the, the, the Mid-South Territory and then I know he went through um, Memphis he was uh, him and Tony Anthony were the dirty white boys um, and then but he wore a mask and so it wasn't until I heard him talking with somebody I was like oh that's him and uh He's the first one to look at me and go, what are you doing back here, boy? And I can't, I think I didn't, I think with, out of like almost fear, I didn't answer him. And he said, huh? He's like, are you dumb? Are you stupid? Or you just don't have, you're hard of hearing. I can't remember one of those. And uh, I said, no, I'm just hanging out. It's like you are. And he's like, you're not supposed to be back here. I said, well, as far as I know, are you the owner of the fairgrounds? He goes, don't get smart with, with me, boy. <laughs> and... Anyways, long story short, he asked me what I thought I was doing back there. I said, I want to become a wrestler. And he told me that I better grow. And he wasn't lying. But uh, I I ended up uh, hitting the weights as heavy as I could and got lucky. By the time I came into my junior year of high school, I had shot up to 5'10 and a half. And I was at a 165 frame, 170 and building when I was about, honestly, about 102 pounds beforehand. So, matter of fact, to the point where the next time I actually went back there and saw a Grappler, he didn't recognize me. I, I did tell, I did inform him I was that kid that came around and said he's going to be a wrestler. You told me to grow. He said, well, you're doing a decent job. You still got to grow, though. Well, I believe that night I asked him if he'd train me. And after he got done laughing, um, he told me I was too young. And come to find out, he got trained at 15 years old, that little prick. But I didn't find that out until later. Um, but yeah, uh, so he told me, um, that I'd wait till I was 18, but it was shortly right after my 18th birthday that I found, yeah, that I found him at the, uh, at the time it was, uh, I can't, I, if it was Tito's gym or Tito and Sandy Barr's gym, if it was still the, right off the interstate right there, but, uh, I don't know if it was still both those two's gym, but it was one of those two, either Tito's or, um, Sandy Barr's, but, um, met up with 
land there and it didn't quite happen just right off the bat it was funny it was like I felt like I was an errand boy for a little bit just driving him around but until he could dump me off on somebody else um and, and granted to be fair you know at this, at this point in time they weren't just letting anybody in the business so it wasn't like uh you know he didn't know me for shit so what, what if I was a reporter or you know you know a kid yeah kid gonna come back and spill the beans to somebody he didn't fucking know so that's why I was sent to a 70 year old mauler who tore me to shreds so there um I got started and uh can't believe how far it's taken me but uh, and I mean not, not mean to the top but how long I should say I guess um I can't remember my first match or who it was against I really can't but I do know that at the time Oregon Boxing and Wrestling Commission had disbanded so therefore they were holding no no bouts there, no wrestling, no bouts, no, no boxing, the boxing was still going on, I believe, I think, no, no, I don't think it was, the amateur boxing was not, um, to the point where Matt Bourne made a promotion in Vancouver, Washington, right, right across the bridge, because we couldn't do it in Oregon, without it being unsanctioned, and getting in a bunch of, bunch of trouble, so, um, I went off to Memphis, and then from Memphis, no, I'm sorry, I went to the Bay Area. From the Bay Area, I went to, the, I went to Memphis. Um, and then from Memphis, I went to Arkansas. Yeah, and then, and then I did that, that area, little area. And then, then I got a phone call from Lynn telling me that, well, the territory had just, well, it's not territory anymore, but the Boxing and Rush Commission has, in so many more, so many words, they're up and running and we can run again so of course naturally I wanted to come back to the northwest my family's there um, I just trained a kid that I actually met when he was God, he had to be like fifth grade and I was in high school and he was a kid that always hung out the park and always stuck his nose in and where I was telling him get out of there, get off the court kid and that kind of stuff and, um, ended up training him his name his name was G-Shock Garrett Furtick but um, he ended up being a hell, hell of a little wrestler and Unfortunately, we've come to similar fate. Like he's a lot earlier than mine, but um, he has—he can say it. He can rattle it off. But it, it's an eye chart, folks. But he loses memory. Um, he at one point he lost two weeks, I believe, or something like that. He just couldn't remember. And so therefore, he was—he was done. And his actually is a medical term. Mine is just multiple concussions over and over again, but five mainly in a short period of time. Um, and they—they they come quicker and quicker. And the last one, how I knew I wouldn't be able to keep going was the fact that it was on a whiplashing motion. It wasn't even, I didn't even hit my head. So, um, it's scary stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, came back and, um, I've been very fortunate because in the Tennessee area, I got a, I got to meet, uh, a lot of, a lot of nice guys, a lot of, a lot of, just see how serious the seriousness between the, the coast uh, and the South and the fact that, you know, I was in a bumping competition every night with a 16-year-old who could bump his ass off in Pierre Mahler. And I'm thinking to myself, they wouldn't let me over there even come near a ring at 16 years old. But yeah, he was trained at 15. And rightfully so, he was amazing. Uh, it wasn't until I got back to Oregon where uh, almost similar situation where I met Rock and Ricky Gibson at 15 years old and helped in his training. And he's still doing it to this day. And he's one of the good ones. Um, well, great ones. Actually, he's turning into going, you know, turning into everything you 
you see as a total pro. Um, and now he's actually helping out and, and, and guiding and, and, and help uh, pushing uh, Greenhorn, guiding Greenhorn's a couple green kids his career. We just talked to him, uh, Eddie and Billy. So uh, we will have Ricky on here, and we've already talked about it. We couldn't have him that night, but I think he's he's the leader of the band, so he gets his own segment. But um, so, um, yeah, so uh, I was in a bumming con- competition every night with a 16 year old, and I was still very young myself, but. Um, just to see them, I mean, I got I got to work Coco Beware at that at that point in time, and um, let's see, there's a couple of Brickhouse Brown, a couple other. Um, it was ironic that I met one of my favorite people from the South in Oregon. So when I got back, um, I don't know the years in between. See, it's kind of funny. We're talking about that slash in between your birth year and your death year. Um, a lot goes on, um, but. I know I was wrestling on Comcast for Frank Culverson and because of some, I would say uh, weather situation or something nasty happened, but, um, in Louisiana. So pork chop cash came and stayed with Lynn and I got to work and meet with pork chop cash. And that was one of my highlights. Um, that was, that was great. Uh, matter of fact, I might have a picture of that somewhere. I might, might, might have to put that up here on the, on, uh, on the episode, but, um, and, and, and from then on, from there on, I mean, I mean, I got to work, uh, guys from Buff Bagwell, Rick Steiner, uh, Road Warrior Animal, Tony Atlas, Matt Bourne, uh, Maniac, or sorry, uh, me and Mike Miller, um, geez, I, I know I'm going to forget a couple, you know, a few people, but, uh, it just it seemed like I just got, kept getting lucky and lucky and lucky, and, and oh God, our D'Lo Brown and the Godfather, my brother and I got to work into this point to stay D'Lo is really uh, a close friend of mine and I I would love to have him on here and see if I couldn't get that and make that happen but I know he's a busy guy um, let's see uh, there's a few others that I got I've been in the ring with that I was just like hmm that's you know and, and early on too so really helped and, and the cool thing about it was is I believe it was uh, Rick Steiner who told me that I had at, the time, at that time that I had great timing um which I was very excited about because I didn't get much feedback. Obviously, a lot of these guys would come here and go there and it just to kiss your ass. I mean, you're nobody. You know, I knew that. But uh, that's kind of, you know, I wanted to go there and see if I could keep up or, like, if I had the, if I could even do it. I mean, it's one thing to wrestle your buddy from school, from your wrestling school, but it's nothing to, to wrestle Roadware Animal or, or, or Rick Steiner or somebody on that caliber. Um, so, uh, you know, I probably should have written down some of the guys that I worked because it's, I, I don't want to leave anybody out because I mean it's like I like I said when it came to like the, also the Portland guys you know um, the old timers that were everybody that just fell in the girl fell in love with when they were you know considered stars because the independence is rough you know for the longest time when we came back when Oregon had dead wrestling you know they were calling us as, you know just, just basically glorified backyarders that we weren't pros and we we're making a mockery of what the other guys did before us and never giving us a chance and it's different today they're we're more respected and but I had, I definitely was one of the people that had to lay the foundation again for here in the Northwest. And it was not easy. Um, you'd think that Portland would be a lot like Memphis considering basically it has the trailblazers. And let's face it, gives a flying fuck about them. Uh, except for if you're basically in Portland. So, you know, you'd think wrestling would have, you know, dominated. And it did for a while. But you think it was still... Be going strong, and the funny thing is, is Memphis is kind of hurting too. I mean, I, I keep up with that, and 
you know, it's like Lawler and Dundee are still wrestling, and holy crap, I, I, that blows my mind. And um, but the crowds have significantly knocked off. Um, in the Northwest, they are actually rising due to the fact that we've been on TV for the last, in some capacity, 20 years or 14 years, 15 years, something like that. So that helps. That brings people in. That brings people who want to go to your school, especially since we're on TV. Uh, we get a lot of, but we get, a, I mean, I wish I could publish the, the Grappler Wrestling Academy page and some of the students and what they ask. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have a show like that where I read off all these, you know, um, different uh, kids' uh, questions that they have for school. The school, I had a, recently I had a, a strapping young kid. He was 18 years old and he was in the gym and he recognized a uh, kid, a kid uh, flex that I trained and when therefore recognized myself and then um, talked to me about school. Now, this kid was about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, uh, I'd say probably been in, in the 270 range and, uh, you know, believable, very believable looking. He sat across my desk at the gym and, commit, or you know, um, tried to convince me that he was going to outwork every student that I had, that he was going to be the next superstar. And, kind of looked at him and said, you know, I uh, apologize for the the non-enthusiastic look on my face, but I've seen you a hundred billion times and I don't even get to know people's name for a month at least because that's how open that and shut that door goes. It's a revolving door for some people. They, they, they Folks, if you're listening to a wrestling fan and you always wanted to do it and you think it, just, you, it does not hurt, you're wrong. It does. You're very wrong. Because here's this kid who told me that he was going to be the next superstar and that you could go ahead and itch out a spot for him on our show because he was going to be better than anybody we got. He lasted two days. We didn't even touch him. He couldn't get past the bumps. His shoulder, he bumped, he hit bumping wrong and his shoulder went out of place and he can't take, he couldn't take the pain like he thought he could. He thought it was, I mean, because the second question he asked me is, is that a mattress or a trampoline or something? Because I see when they run, it, it, it kind of gives gives it a leeway. And I was like, no. And I explained to him what it was, and his eyes got all huge. And I was like, I go, dude, you ever try to run on a mattress or run on a trampoline? That that doesn't happen. So, no, it's not a huge trampoline, or else we'd all bump, bump up to our feet when we got hit. So that was absurd. So you could tell. I mean, just I've actually had a kid come in and ask where our fitting room was. I said, what? I said, where do you guys make your costumes? I almost wanted to point the door. The one same one you came through. Get the fuck out of here. You know, it's like. You, you, you go to wrestling school, folks, kids, today, all right, and uh, it, it's hard work. It ain't easy. It's not going to be easy, okay? They're going to work your ass off. Matter of fact, you still have to prove your way in this business. Not everybody can do it, or else everybody that bought a ticket on this weekend show that you're at or whatever would step in the ring, but they don't because they'd rather yell at you because it's safer. Um... I had about a 23-year career, and luckily enough, I've had more airtime, TV time, than anybody that looks like me should. <laughs> I've been blessed. I've done it. You can, I mean, you can look it up. It's um, on YouTube, the uh, Voodoo Donuts commercial, Jeremy Blanchard and the Grappler. Um, just, I've been on some form of professional wrestling since Don Owen, and uh, I've been blessed, and I've been looked after by a, a lot of guys. Um, the coolest... I'm not singling out any promotion, but one of the coolest things was is the end of Roddy's, Roddy Roddy Piper's life, not career life. Bubba and I and my brother had a hand in training and help training his son and be on Portland Wrestling Uncut. 
that's on YouTube, and that's basically gets the progressing I cut gets is gets a oh, ton of views around the world um, due to Roddy. But um, got to work with him hands on, and that was awesome. I mean, just a wealth of knowledge, and so you know. And then Matt Barn came through there before he died, which is good because I mean we were really close, and I mean. He called me the day after, the day after he died, good fucking Lord, the day before he died, and I couldn't get to my phone at work, and he left a message, and you could tell that, like, I, it almost sounded like he was walking up a flight of stairs or something, he had didn't have his breath, and he was asking me on the message how I was, and he was worried about me, because he had this feeling, and unfortunately, I lost that phone, but I kept that message, and uh, yeah, that was when, that was just... Yeah, that hit, that hit me hard. Um, but got a chance to hang out with him before he died and do a couple of, yeah, fuck it, I don't care, World Famous Flea Markets. If you haven't seen, if you're a wrestling fan and you haven't seen the World Famous Flea Market, look it up right now. You can pause this and go look at it. It's hilarious. The concept is there's so much garbage on the internet when it comes to wrestling and people put it up like it's a prize pig. Well, it's a pig, all right. But it's still a pig. And, um, so uh, there's commentary, hilarious commentary, dub, uh, dubbed over it. You just got to watch it. It's hilarious. But anyways, um, yeah, so I uh, got to spend time with him and, and learn. And it was studio TV, too. That was another thing. Being from Memphis, man, I was I was giddy being in the studio again or for the first time because they don't do that anymore. I mean, the studio used to be your your commercial for your live event. Well, everything's a live event now. Um so that was kind of neat to go. It's like I got to th- get thrown back in time. And um, so basically the first TV that I was on um, was the Kaforis. And that was, everything's been Portland Wrestling, by the way. I'm going to say it's Portland Wrestling, Portland Wrestling, Portland Wrestling. But unfortunately, there's been like 10 promotions since Don Owen, who originally owned Portland Wrestling. So it's, there's a bunch of bastardized versions. But um, they all seem to make it on TV and all, you know. And they all seem to go down. Well, West Coast Wrestling Connection has actually had that spot for the last, like, five years, six years, something like that. So going strong, and I don't see, they don't have any plans to stop. And every Saturday night, 11 o'clock on Channel 49 or 13, if you're in Oregon on the West Coast. But if you're not, just look it up on YouTube. It, the new episode comes out every Monday. Um, yeah, I don't know what time, though. Um, so uh, we do have guys like... Uh, Tilo Brown, Gangrel, Matt Stryker. Um, Ref Hebner's in there. He's a he's a good dude. Um, but we do have a, a lot of guys come through our locker room. There was a somewhere in McMinnville is where I first met Tilo Brown. Uh, this guy, I don't know what he did or how much money he had, but it was called BAW, and he was doing it for a 16-year-old kid. His kid was wrestling. And so basically, this, this kid had a, like a 16-year-old, one of those big fairy tale birthdays for a solid almost a year. That locker room, I tell you what, had to be over 10 grand in flights alone. You had, like, D'Lo Brown, the godfather. You had Molly Holly. You had Crash Holly. You had Spike Dudley. You had Al Snow. You had New Jack. You had Raven. You had Billy Kidman. You had, let's see here, it still goes. I mean, I'm still, I'm still I mean, Rikishi was there at one point. Rosie was there at one point. Um, you had, uh, let's see, I mean, I, I can just keep going, and I'm, it was a mixture of, I felt like we had just gone in the WWF locker room of all the guys that just got, just gotten released. 
know what I'm saying? Like, it was really weird, like, strange, but it, it was, it was really cool to be, I mean, I met a lot of, I mean, realized, you know, who was down to earth, you know, and D-Lo was the guy that stuck out the most, the reason why is being the champ of the promotion and, and being an ex-intercontinental champion and uh, European champion in the run that he had the WWE, that guy was one of the only people besides, like, Al Snow and Daphne and, and I want to say Spike Dudley are the only ones that actually were changed in our locker room. Everybody else had their own separate little area away from us that they didn't want anything to do with us, which is fine. Um, but D'Lo was right there in the, in the midst of us and got to know him there. And then we hooked back up here with, he's, you know, um, he, he deals with stuff up here in wrestling and he's, doesn't, he's not on, on air, but uh, um, he's a consultant, I guess you can call it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's actually an executive producer, but um, he's not involved on the TV or anything like that. And, but uh, so you can't see him that way. But he, he, it's his brain, part of his brainchild with the booking committee and the owner and the promoter. So I'm just happy to be part of it. It's um, a weird part of my career now because after the years, I mean, I, I could, if I started to try to jot down more in depth, we'd be here a long time um, with some funny stories and some not so funny stories. I actually requested a anchor for this one. To see if somebody would just pop up just because it was pro wrestling. Um, probably pretty intimidating topic though. It's my life. And so how would you dig into someone's life to just dialing in on a podcast app? But I wanted to use that. Uh, it's a new new app I was talking about earlier or new new feature on the app um, where you can invite or jump into someone's podcast. I think that's pretty cool. I might try to try that sometime here. But I was hoping to get someone to join me. Um, that way you could bounce back and forth. But um, And maybe some of the questions you might have would have been, you know, like, hey, you know, what was your you know, funniest road, road trip and, um, and stuff like that. So um, for a different time, maybe. But uh, I've been fortunate enough to be to work on top. Um, in Memphis, I came in on top. Uh, we were at the Raleigh Mall, Raleigh Mall, and um, for a group called SPW, and they brought me in as a champion. And boy, that, that set some sparks. But um, learned so much there and, and uh, came back to Northwest and really it was re- like I said it was rebuilding and and we we've done that and it's it's uh it, I've been blessed I can't, I can't say any other any other thing but I've been blessed and I I take this, I want you to take this time to like hopefully if you're listening to this just leave me a message that I can put on here and ask me a question or something that that you have that you might have on my life that I can sum up for you on my wrestling career um you know who's my favorite opponent or who you know that kind of stuff or, or just how is it do you make I mean, if you're interested in being a professional wrestler here in the indies don't <laughs> I'm just kidding uh, maybe you have questions about that so you don't walk in as a complete utter fucking moron like half the people do where they don't keep their mouth shut and their ears open you can't learn anything when your mouth's open and your ears are shut and they have, they've always said there's a saying I've heard on the west coast and I'm sure it's it's everywhere in wrestling but when you're green you grow when you're not you rot when you're green you grow when you're not you rot Folks, let me tell you something. That's words to live by, no matter what. Never stop learning. Never know it all. Um, I've got a couple topics I think I'm going to talk about next time around, and that one of them's going to be uh, um, my life as a strip club DJ. Because yeah, that that hit, that goes hand in hand. And I'm going to tell you that that's probably it's going to be more like on the the comparisons of pro wrestling when it comes to the strip club and pro wrestling. And trust me, they're similar. Um, and uh, also, uh, let's see, uh, who 
the other one I had. I was going to talk about... Yeah. That's, that's, see, there you go. There it is. All those concussions. Um, not to mention being 420 friendly. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's... Um, yeah, so uh, it becomes me... Um, I think... I think. I mean, I know how to do pro wrestling, but I mean, just... Yeah. So once again, leave me a message. Like and subscribe or whatever it is that they do on here. Um, get on the podcast. Join the podcast if you want. The more the merrier. I'd love to talk to you, anybody that's uh, got any questions about being, liking, um, how it is in the business. It is a business. Wrestling is just few and far between. I've met a lot of crazy people, but what a great... I wouldn't... I mean, if I had... I'm hurting so bad now, guys, and I'm, I'm actually working two, two, almost three jobs, basically, because I'm still involved. WC, I train... I pick up the salary from them by training kids and being on-air personality and helping out wherever I can, being a backstage agent. Um, I'm a strip club DJ and I work at the produce department now, so I have to have those. I have to work a lot, and I'm in a lot of pain. And to be honest with you, if I were to go back to do it over again, if I could send myself back in time and catch my 16-year-old self, I would tell him, "Do it all over again. <laughs> Maybe tweak a little bit, but do it all over again." That's how much I love it. How much, yeah, once like I said, once your blood, you're fucked. Uh, I doubt I came up with this, but I know that I'm the first one that, I mean, I came up with that in my, I mean, I put it together in my head, but I know it's not the first words being said. But I was trying to, I was telling my kids that first got started that when I was doing a training seminar. And I'm trying to think to myself, how could I relate, or how can I make this relate the best way possible? I said, listen, pro wrestling is basically this in a nutshell. I'm in love with a whore who does not love me back and loves to punish me. But I keep running and keep running back. <laughs> That's what she'll do. That's going to wrap up this segment. For all you sugar and sugarettes, thanks for listening. If you're not listening, fuck you. Wow, man. That's very interesting to know, man. You know what I'm saying? This ain't the um, wow, man. First of all, man, you know what I'm saying? I know that is a life, man, you know what I'm saying, to be a wrestler, man, because, you know, I guess, you know, I can live vicariously through you, man, because I always wanted to be a wrestler or whatever, you know what I'm saying, because I enjoy wrestling so, so much, man, but that was a very good story, man. I, I really do appreciate that, man. I needed that. I'm sitting here. Um, listening through podcast, man. I came across that, man, and that was that was great, man. That was a great story. I appreciate that, buddy. It's Antipon, and I'm out. That's my boy, Ant Capone. Make sure you show him some love and good his podcast. He's got some good stuff. My boy's from Mempo. That's right, Memphis, Tennessee, just like I am. He deserves all the love. He's if you want it, you want it real. You want somebody coming at you straight up. That's him. Make sure you check out his podcast, Ant Capone from Mempo. I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for stopping by.